Well, let's pray one more time as we consider the Word of God that we have just heard. <clears throat> Faithful God, you have caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, mark them, learn, and inwardly digest them. That, by the patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and always hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, well, does anyone know what happened two days ago on the last Friday that we just had? Any ideas what it's called? Not Thanksgiving. Good guess, Tom. Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, predictions were that Aussies would spend $6.2 billion on riches, either online or in stores on that day alone. Perhaps you're like me, when you make a new purchase, you search it beforehand, uh, you see the value in the products, you see the riches that it holds, and you buy them. Uh, many of you may have heard in this room that recently I bought a new pair of running shoes. I told everyone. Uh, after taking them home, they're not the ones I'm wearing, uh, I searched, I looked at them for about 30 minutes, maybe an hour. You can ask Megan next week when she's here. I gazed and studied at the cool technology in these shoes, but then after a period of time, the search was over. The riches that the shoes had to offer me was exhausted, and so the new shoe smell would soon be replaced with that smell of feet. <laughs> See, like shoes and other good things in our world that we can buy on a Black Friday, they have a finite, calculable amount of riches to them. It's interesting. In contrast, if you cast your eyes to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes of the unsearchable riches of Christ. In our commentators and other translators use such words as untraceable, unfathomable, inscrutable, inexplorable, incalculable, and inexhaustible. That is to say, the riches of Christ, like the space above, too vast to exhaust, and the sea below, too deep to explore. Such is the riches of Christ. But I'm aware, I'm aware that quite often in life, with the busyness and the changes and the challenges that we face, we may not always be awestruck with the riches of Christ. We may be struggling to take time out to gaze and reflect of just how rich Christ is. I have the privilege of knowing many people in this room quite well. And I think it's fair to say that November, even 2022, has had its challenges. So this afternoon, as we spend some time in chapter 3, I hope to remind you of the unsearchable riches of Christ shown to you all in the gospel. And to do this, we'll consider three points. It's on the outline there. But the first point that we'll consider is it's so rich... It's reason to be a prisoner. We'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, as we've noticed in previous weeks in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing uh, this letter to the church in Ephesus in chains. And by the time that he's writing it, he's probably been in chains at home for four to five years. And he's got this chance to write and connect with these Christians at Ephesus. It's like if, if we were arrested for preaching the gospel, we would be given our one phone call. I wonder, if you were arrested and in jail and given one phone call, what would you say to your loved one? I thought about it, and it would probably go something like, Maggie, 
The bed's terrible. The food, terrible. There isn't even a TV to watch the Soccer World Cup on. But it's interesting. What does Paul say? Well, he mentions jail, and then he stops talking about it. Because rather, Paul wants the Ephesians to know the big thing. Paul wants the Ephesians to know there's something far bigger than the fact that he is in chains, the gospel. And isn't that a reminder for us? No matter our situation, good or bad, let's make the big thing, the gospel, the big thing in our life today. Such as the riches of Christ, Paul is willing to be a prisoner. Our second point to consider, so rich to include the nations. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, uh, Christianity has many doctrines, many statements of beliefs. And one of the most important doctrines for us is the doctrine, the belief of revelation, that God has graciously chosen to reveal himself and his salvation plan to people through his word. Our faith actually rests on the fact that God has made himself known in the Bible by his spirit. And this is what Paul is talking about in verse 3. I'll read it out for us. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written about briefly. Notice the word mystery there with me. As you scan your eyes over the chapter, mystery is repeated four times in many translations. Uh, It's important to note that there's nothing actually hocus-pocus about the word mystery in the New Testament. Mystery just means something that was at one time hidden, but now has been revealed. Uh, For example, tonight I can hear something in the kitchen, what I hope is dinner, but I have have no idea what is for dinner tonight. Thank you for those who have made this, by the way. Uh, But there's nothing hocus-pocus about dinner. There's no magic wand that's going to create it into existence. It's just a mystery to me. But I hope in time it will be revealed and tasted. Likewise, for God's salvation plan for his people, it was hidden at one time, something human beings could not discover by ourselves. But now, says Paul, God has revealed the mystery, revealed the secret. Cast your minds to the QPAC theatre. Better than this, all right? The curtains open up and you see the play begin. And the dramatic, the unfolding storyline of whatever play you've gone to takes place. See, in this letter, God's dramatic unfolding plan for salvation is revealed to all people as they open up the Bible. Now, Paul has said that he's written about it briefly. He's taken about two chapters uh, to write about this salvation plan. And really, really briefly, my summary points is in chapter 1 and 2, we learn that Christians are blessed in Christ. That through hearing and believing the gospel, we are sealed, secured in the Spirit. Those who were once dead in their trespasses, God has made them alive in Christ. That we are saved by trusting in Christ. This is God's salvation plan. That has been revealed to us. But there's more. There's more revealed in chapter 3. Beginning off again in verse 4, we pick it up. It says, When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is actually huge, because if we tracked with the story of the Old Testament, we'd see that God's people are Israel are the Jewish nation. After God has rescued them out of slavery, he actually called them his own possession, his treasured people. And it's worth noting that here in verse 6, what is revealed is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers in Christ. Uh, The word Gentile comes up a lot in the the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it's it's referring to nations. Gentile means other nations, nations that aren't Jewish nations. And some people wrongly think that Gentiles was God's divine afterthought. He looked at Israel and thought, oh no, they keep sinning. I need to send Jesus and widen the selection criteria and I'll welcome the nations in. That's not the case. We see that throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, God's plan includes the nations, includes the Gentiles. And I've got some evidence for this claim. You don't have to turn to these verses right now, but I'll read them out for you. Way at the the start of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice there, all families shall be blessed. Again, in Isaiah chapter 11, a prophet in the Old Testament It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Notice again, all the nations. And the last one I bring to your attention is Amos chapter 9, verse 11 to 12. I won't ask anyone to put their hands up, but who's actually read Amos here? Don't put your hands up. Uh, Good one, Dave. (laughs) It's a great book. But I'll just slow down on Amos. Uh, Amos chapter 9 is where where, where I'm just slowing down on. Amos was an Old Testament prophet who brought a message from the Lord around around the age of 760 BC. The focus of the book of Amos is judgment on Israel. And the book concludes in chapter 9 with a description of Israel's restoration. I'll read it out for us. Amos chapter 9 verse 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Now, we don't have too much time to unpack uh, Amos' text, but I want to bring to your attention just how important those two verses are in understanding Gentile and Jewish relationships in the church. Because you may be familiar with Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we have a Jerusalem council after there's Gentiles becoming Christians, and and they've got a problem. They've got other Gentiles welcome into the church or not. And the Apostle James sort of lays down the last piece of evidence in the argument by quoting the verse that I've just read out from you there in Amos chapter 9. Now, what does that have to do with Ephesians chapter 3? Well, it it proves to us that God's plan always included the nations. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful to God for that because I'm not Jewish. I am from the nations. 
And the question that we should ask is, well, how are the nations, how are all people included in Christ? Well, it's through the gospel, as we see at the end of verse 6 there, through the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, to quote Dave, the, good new- the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the perfect life, sacrificial death, triumphant resurrection, glorious ascension of King Jesus. Now, that's a statement that you would have heard a lot at Christ Our Refuge. And I, I love that statement. I think it's helpful to have that statement, not only because Dave's in the front row, but I think it's good to have a, a, a clear statement to say to ourselves and to say to other people. But similar to what Ro was talking about when she was mentioning her experience at City to City, we can, we can boil down the gospel to remember it, to have it noteworthy. But we don't want to take away from the length, the breadth, the beauty of the gospel. It offers us so, so much. Uh, I did a little bit of a, a flick through chapters 1 and 2 this week just to show us how much the gospel offers us. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 alone, we read that the gospel means that ordinary people like us are, ready, blessed, holy and blameless, adopted, predestined, redeemed, forgiven, lavished with gifts, united to Christ, given an inheritance, given the Holy Spirit, God himself, saved, safe, secure, given a reason to hope, raised with Christ to the heavenly places, taken from death to life, reconciled to God through Christ. How rich is the gospel? And casting your eyes to uh, chapter 3, verse 12, through Christ, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Such is the un searchable riches of Christ. Because for our sake and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor, so that you and I, by his poverty, might become rich. And we've seen how this richness includes the nations. And Roe touched on a point as well. They stole my sermon. But anyway, uh, Roe touched on a point as well. We, we see the fulfillment of this inclusion of the nations in the New Testament church, but we also see the, the fullness of this in the book of Revelation. In chapter 7, it says in verse 9, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What a rich picture that God has included his people in through the gospel. Now, this teaches us, it reveals to us that God is concerned with the nations by way of application. Are you? Are you concerned for the gospel to be made known to the nations for the sake of all people's salvation? Years ago, the the only response to that concern was to get on a boat and go, to go to the nations. And thank God that Christians did, that Christians came to Australia. It's incredible to learn some of the the Christian history of our nation. And for people today, that might be the same response, hopefully on an aeroplane rather than a boat to go to the nations. But as, as Dave shared earlier, uh, we can financially support the gospel work over there by, by raising up church planters, by financially supporting theological colleges to raise up new church leaders in their nations. But it's interesting. 
As we look at the geographical data over recent years, God has been moving the nations to us, to cities, to Brisbane. In 2021, Brisbane had the 27th largest immigrant population in metropolitan areas from around the world. 27th largest around the world. We have people from China, India, South Africa, Philippines, Vietnam, America, South Korea, Taiwan, Scotland, Malaysia. They were just the top of the list, to name a few. See, friends, we too should be concerned with the nations, which have now become our neighbours. At Christ Our Refuge, our dream is to be a city of refuge within the city of Brisbane, where many people have found refuge, security, and hope in Christ. And such is the riches of Christ that he includes the nations. And also that he includes us, our efforts in making that refuge, that hope, that security known. The, the, the third and final point uh, of this afternoon is so rich to use us. Uh, I think it's fair to say as we track with the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we see God in control, sovereign, powerful, uniting all things in Christ, in heaven and on earth. And if you had that mission before you, I don't know about you, but I would pick the best people to, to go about that mission. I would pick the, 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 the very best to execute that mission. But it's interesting. Paul is given a role, and if you know some of the backstory about Paul, who used to be Saul, a persecutor of the early church, and the church is given a role. We'll look at Paul's role first. Uh, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of, gra of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What's Paul's role? To minister. Uh, I love the word minister. Uh, some churches will choose pastor or minister. I'm not getting into that debate, uh, but I just love the word minister because minister means acting as a go-between, usually someone who's bearing something or bringing something from someone else. Uh, I'm the youngest in my family, and at Christmas time, I was the most excited. And to slow me down, because I was just opening up everyone else's presents, my mum gave me a very, very important job, to minister the gifts. I would take the gift from my mum to give it to my brother, from my brother to the other brother, dad to mum, and so on. I was the minister of Christmas. Paul isn't the minister of Christmas, as he describes himself, but he describes himself as the minister of the gospel, taking the good news from God to people. And notice how, since the mystery revealed to Paul was that the Gentiles are included in the church, who is Paul's audience? It's the Gentiles. He can't help but to tell the Gentiles to preach the gospel to them. Now, by way of application for us, it's important that ministry isn't just confined to the paid minister, whatever they may be called. We all have ministry to do. 
And I think we need to be, uh, we, we need to be reminded of two things. The first thing, which I, I find very, comfortable, very comforting, is we're not like the Apostle Paul. We haven't received a revelation directly from Christ, as Paul did. We haven't been commissioned to be the Jewish apostle to the Gentiles. But secondly, which I think is a great motivator, the gospel that Paul preached is the same gospel that we have heard and believed. And so that we should bring, that we should minister to all that would hear. And in so doing, we are conducting ministry. And it's important to note that all ministry is because of God's grace. We see this in Paul's life. How does he describe himself? He is the very least of all the saints. And this grace was given to me. And it makes sense because, as I said before, if you're going to pick someone to, make, uh, the, to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the persecutor of the church, wow, the least unworthy, but God uses Paul. Such is the riches of Christ. So Paul is given a role and the church is given a role. We pick it up in verse 10. It says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be, might no, sorry, God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for, which is your glory. Now, there's many things that we could say about that. I love verses 12 and 13. But one thing I want to bring to our attention is just the centrality of the church. This thing that we are doing, big or small, it is central to God's plan. It has a role, as we saw, in making the wisdom of God known. The thing that we are doing right now is important. You see, sadly, some Christians today wrongly think that Christianity exists just of a personal relationship with God, that I don't need to have a church community. Some professing Christians don't even belong to a church or aren't seeking out a church. But verse 11 reminds us that the church was a part of God's eternal purpose. Isn't it remarkable that the Bible concentrates on people that are rather insignificant, people that are perhaps unimportant, but who God calls saints. We are saints, and we are a part of his plan. Isn't that a reminder of the importance of what we are doing? God hasn't abandoned his people, so how can we? And the church is the central place of his plan. And under God, as, as we track with history, the church is God's vehicle for salvation by his spirit. That's where we see uh, people who aren't yet a Christian become Christian, where the gospel is proclaimed and where people come and grow in the gospel. So we should seek to be active, responsible church members because we have a role in God's plan. We should seek to live up to the New Testament standards of how we relate to one another, forgive one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and minister the gospel to one another. Like Paul, we keep before us the riches of Christ in the gospel. So rich, as we've considered, it is a reason to be a prisoner. 
It is so rich to include the nations, so rich to use us. To close, I hope that we've been reminded of the riches of Christ and all that he has to offer us in the gospel. But I want to bring to your attention a theme that's perhaps been in the background of my talk, and I trust Ephesians chapter 3, and it's the relationship between revelation and evangelism. Because evangelism is based on revelation. Okay? Uh, so, uh, for example, I started off my talk today talking about my running shoes. Uh, if you've been here with previous weeks, you may have had the privilege of hearing about these running shoes. Uh, my wife, Megan, and I, who's not here today, have a joke that when I find something that is of value to me, in particular if it's on sale, I can't stop talking about it. Isn't that a nutshell of evangelism? Friends, we have found something. We have been given something which has unsearchable riches. So we should not, we cannot stop talking about it. Uh, to conclude, John Stott writes regarding this passage, Paul was convinced, as we must be, that Christ never impoverishes those who put their trust in him, but always immeasurably enriches them. Here then was the double obligation Paul felt. First, to share God's truth, and secondly, to share Christ's riches. So what is needed for the recovery of our evangelistic zeal today is the same conviction about the gospel. Once we are sure that the gospel is both truth from God and riches for mankind, nobody will be able to silence us. Friends, the gospel is true. The gospel is rich. And the unsearchable riches of Christ is what all people everywhere are looking for. That $6.2 billion on a Black Friday sale can't even come close to putting a price on it. But the Bible has revealed it to us. And so, let's not stop speaking the gospel to ourselves, our church, the nations that are far away, and the nations that have become our neighbours. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord of all, for the gifts of Christ, our ascended King. We thank you for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Hear our prayer for all who do not know your love and have not heard the gospel of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Send out your light and your truth through the ministers of your gospel and bring many to saving trust in Christ. Help us to support them in our prayers and in our offerings and to minister the gospel both to ourselves and to others by what we say and what we do. Lord, hasten the day of your coming kingdom where there will be a great countless multitude from every nation, from all the tribes, peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.